0: A uh, couple quick announcements before <clears throat> before everybody comes back while they're dropping off their kiddos. Um, reminder that we will not be here next week. Uh, we're taking the last Sunday of this month and next month off, so don't show up here because we will not be here. Uh, enjoy time with family and uh, man, recover from your tryptophan overdose that we'll probably all endure on Thursday. Uh, we will have something that will go up live at 9:30 on Facebook and I think 9:45 on YouTube because they're funny when we're out actually not live. Uh, So check that out. It'll be in the email this week. Um, If you order T-shirts, they will be here tomorrow. Well, not here, but we'll have them in hand tomorrow. So I'll try to reach out, or one of us will try to reach out before Thanksgiving. If you want to meet up and grab those and wear those to Thanksgiving, hey, we can make that happen. Um, But if you want to wait until the next Sunday that we're together, we'll have that there too. If for some reason you ordered a T-shirt and you have not yet paid, that's okay. We can still shake, I mean, we can still get you, or you can still pay. Uh, No big deal. They were $15 a piece, and we did order a couple extras, so if you missed out on that, there's a chance you could still get a t-shirt. Just ask us, and we may have one for you. If not, we'll wait until January, February before we order another run, which might be in a different color. Um, And then also this week we had our faux mission trip. A lot of fun. I hope you guys had a chance to participate in that. Thank you. I know we had one group on Thursday that went and served at uh, Miracle Hills Clothing Closet and got to do that. We had some pictures from that. Hopefully you had a chance to write your sponsor children and watch the video from Tuesday night too. If you missed the banquet on Tuesday night, and couldn't watch it, we did record that. And so if you want that, um, we'll post that link a little bit later too so that you can view that. It's just some information about what we do, why we do it, how it happens, also kind of updates from Kakapek and what's going on there. They did endure a second uh, hurricane this week. Um, And so a lot of stuff has been going on for them Um, and and you can kind of be uh, brought up to speed on all of that stuff if you watch that video. But if you had pictures from this week, anything that you guys did, even if it was just writing letters to your your sponsor children, make sure we get those. Uh, Food for the Hungry kind of caught wind of what we were doing, and they reached out to Abby and did an interview with Abby, and they want to write a story about kind of the faux mission trip because there's a lot of churches that are in a very similar situation right now. So they were like, man, that was a really great idea. And I'm like, I had nothing to do with it. Um, So hence the great idea part. It was Abby. And uh, so if you have any pictures or had anything that you want to tell us about the stuff that you did, maybe, maybe a, a, a recipe that you cooked on Friday night, we had something. I can't pronounce it. Can you? Yeah. What did we eat on Friday night? What did you make? Never mind. We had something, and it was really good. And uh, it would have been something they would have served an honored guest when, <laughs> when you sat in their house, but, but rice and, and potatoes and all kind of fun stuff and uh, just spicy enough so it was just right for the cold season. Um, but, yeah, if you had any pictures or wanted to tell us about any of that stuff, uh, please let us know. And also, if you want to sponsor a child and you have not yet, we have 15 new packets, um, and we will have those Sunday after next here. But if you want someone, wanted some information on those before then, email Abby or email me, and we'll make sure you can talk about that. Um, man, it's a great opportunity to invest in someone's life that, um, man, just they need it. And, and it goes a really long way. And if you missed the video Tuesday, m- make sure you go back and listen to that, because there's a neat story about what sponsorship affords and why it's there and why it's such a big deal. Uh, so go back. Man, today, uh, I think everybody's back. Uh, we are in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Um, I did skip a few verses in between where we were last week and where we are this week. And, and that's going to be what we'll cover next Sunday. And I know that's a little weird, but just, just bear with me. I'll explain that. Um, or maybe I won't, but it doesn't matter. That's the way we're going to do it. And so we're grateful you're along for the ride. man. today in this particular passage, um, I don't think it needs an illustration or anything as an introduction. Uh, What we have is it starts off with a commandment, and then it gives us one of those if-then statements that we've been talking about, and then it gives us an explanation. Really, really simple. Three verses, we've got a commandment, we've got an if-then, and then we've got some explanation. And I'll go ahead and say this before we jump in here. Um, Last week we were talking about like fundamentals. You know, the thing that we talked about last week was actually loving one another. We have to do this. Um, It's one of the fundamentals of the Christian faith that we have love for the one another's. Man, today, I think it's probably the universal Christian struggle. I think it's probably the primary universal Christian struggle. Uh, because we're all going to suffer for it, even the days in which the people were walking around Ephesus and the region around Ephesus in the, the late uh, first century. They were struggling with it then. It hasn't gone anywhere. Same deal. We're all born technically the same. We're born with a, a desire for self, a desire for self-fulfillment. Um, and then God comes into the picture and he says, no, 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 I want to change that. And so there's always going to be this, this innate battle. And today this, this particular passage is going to address that. Uh, I'm going to read. And then we're going to jump in and uh, read these three verses and and talk through them a bit. Uh, So let's pray together. God, we love you. Uh, We thank you for loving us. We thank you, God, that you're a God who loves us enough not to leave us as we are, but you're a God who desires to equip us, to change us, uh, to sanctify us, in your words, to set us apart, to make us look more and more like Jesus. God, I thank you for the process. Uh, today, as we look at your word, I pray that it would speak, I pray that it would convict, um, I pray that it would direct us in the ways that we need to think differently, be different, um, and just process, process you and your ways differently. Uh, God, thank you for your word. I pray that we hear from you today. So if you can tell, my voice is <clears throat> a bit uh, off today, so I'm going to try to use less words and, um, and get through a little bit quicker today so that we, we don't have squeaks. So chapter 2, verse 15. Says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions or life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever." And so John's addressing these people in Ephesus and the regions around that, and he just starts off with a very simple command. And it's one of these negative commands, a do not. And we've talked about this in the past. Anytime that we see do nots in scripture, they're they're fairly emphatic. They're telling us not to do something. But usually there's reason and rationale attached to this. I think if we grow up in a society or a church culture in which we believe that God is more about the do nots than the do's, we generally turn ourselves off at the do nots. And we're thinking, well, God, you're just trying to keep me from doing things that I want to do. But if we're reading scripture well, if we're being good students, we have to understand that usually when there's a do not, in Scripture, telling us to, for, to, to stay away from something, telling us not to do something, there's usually rationale and reason behind it. We'll get to that. And so the simplicity of this do not is do not love the world or the things in this world, the commandment. Last week, we talked a little bit about the idea that sometimes we, we have a false perception of what love really looks like. You know, we have uh, just so many different ideas swirling around our head about what love really looks like. And even this morning as I was sitting, I just kind of quickly Googled, like, what is love? And unfortunately, the 80s song didn't pop up. I was hoping that would be the first result, um, like the Saturday Night Live, you know, that kind of thing, where they break the, yeah, break the glass with their hair. Um, and I'm not even going to sing it this morning. But it didn't. A ton of cultural definitions of love came up. And, and the crazy thing is they were all about, like, a feeling. And they were all about a feeling that was directed towards an individual, not to a group of people, not to a society, not to an idea, but it was all about love from one person to another. And so while that may be true, and while that may actually inform what we think about love, it's just vastly incomplete. And so last week, we talked about this idea of uh, this new old commandment of loving one another well and doing it in such a degree that if we do it really, really well, and if we do it like Jesus did it, because that's the command, the world will see it, and it will point people towards him. If we're working from an incomplete definition of love, then chances are people are not going to see Jesus in the way that we do it. They're going to see ourselves. They're going to see self-gratification. They're going to see all these things, but they're not going to see Jesus. And so today, we're going to continue to think through this idea of what a complete idea and notion of love looks like. And so he says, do not... Love the world or the things in this world. That's the commandment. Here's the if-then statement, second part of this verse. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We've been talking about these if-then statements, these identifiers or these indicators, as we will, um, speaking to this early crowd of just saying, look, I want you to know and be assured of your salvation, and here's one of these ideas today. Uh, if you love the world, like if you're really, really loving the world, then chances are the love of the Father is not in you. Now granted, let's go ahead and address like kind of the elephant sitting in the room. You're like, look, I, I kind of like this world. I do. There's some neat stuff here. Like me, I, I, like, I like this world. There's some great stuff here. Like my wife and my kids, they're in this world. They're my favorite things I've got. You know, I love to fish. I love to hunt. I love these things. And so this passage is not saying, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. This passage is not saying that we can't have affections for the things here. It's not saying that we can't love the things here. But what the complete idea here is that we cannot love these things more than we love God. We cannot allow these things that are around us, not just the things. We'll get to the other idea in just a second. We we cannot allow these things to take precedence, priority, or privilege over God. One of the ways in which our definition of love is incomplete is we feel that uh, our love can be divided well. But I think in Scripture, if we go back and we start to read, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 on several different places today. There's going to be a place there that lets us know that divided love really can't exist. It needs to be unified in its pursuit, unified in its direction, and unified in its intent. And everything else is going to flow out of that. So he says, do not love the world, and then he gives the condition. If you do, if, the, if you are loving the world more than you're loving God, there's a chance that his love is just not in you. And so for us, we have to begin to unravel this idea and unwrap this this question as to, man, what do I love more? What do I love more? And man, that's a hard question. And it's, it's been battling, we've been battling with it since our inception. Like, not just since my birth, not since your birth, not since just our father's and grandfather's birth, but from, like, mankind's birth. As soon as sin entered the picture, this question has been there. Like, what do I love more? I think... Uh, Abby and I were talking about this last night, that just some of the cultural isms that we have and how we address um, our devotion to God and our devotion to other things, it makes this really hard. It does. It just makes it, it, makes it hard to really think, like, what do I love more? So it gives us a do not. He gives us an if then. Let's continue just a little bit. Um. Verse 16, he goes to inform us a little bit about what this love for world looks like. He says, for all that is in the world, not an exhaustive list, but the things he's going to list here. He says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Um, just notice here that he's not listing things. Notice that he's not listing uh, houses. He's not listing cars. Uh, he's not even listing people. He's not listing things. He says, no, no, no. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is in the world. Because what we're going to get to here is the idea of worldliness versus godliness. Like worldliness is being more in love with the world than we are with God. That's worldliness. Um, And if we want to build a a decent definition of that, uh, one commentator that I was reading earlier this week, if I can pull up my high-tech quote saver, which is copy and paste into a Notepad. notepad. Uh, F.F. Bruce was a, a commentator from the early 1900s, English English dude, and, uh, and he just, man, he was a, a specialist in the New Testament ideas, and just that was, his, that was his focus. He said, worldliness does not lie in the things we do or the places we frequent. It lies in the human heart, in a set of human affections and attitudes. I want to read that again, because it, uh, maybe I need to read it in a British accent, but I won't. But it says, worldliness, it does not lie in the things we do or the places we frequent. It lies in the human heart, in a set of human affections and attitudes. If we're being good thinkers today, if we're thinking well about what it means to be worldly versus godly, it means that we have set our heart on the things of this world. It doesn't mean that the things of this world are naturally bad. It doesn't mean that a house is bad or a car is bad. It doesn't mean that a relationship with your spouse is bad or a relationship with your child is bad. But what it means is we've allowed the bent of our heart or the angle of our heart to be focused more on those things than they are on God. Worldliness. Worldliness. Man, but here's the rub. Man, it's so easy to fall in love with those things. Like by nature, by nature we are born in a condition as sinners in which we are already inwardly focused. Like there's none righteous, not a single one, for all of sin fallen short of the glory of God. The nature of sin itself is that we look more to ourselves than we do of the ways of God. We are born with a worldly leaning already. Like that's the way that we come into this world. We're born thinking more of myself than we'll ever think of God. We're not born godly. We can be reborn godly, praise God, by grace through faith. Yes, we can be reborn there, but we're born with a bent towards me, far more than towards God. I mean, if you think back to the original sin, like in the garden, like think about what he just said here, uh, the things of this world, how we define them, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions. Think about the exact way in which Satan came to Adam and Eve. He said, man, doesn't it it look good? Doesn't that piece of fruit just hanging there that God told you not to eat, but did he really, doesn't it look good? It's good to the eyes. Shouldn't it be tasty? I bet it is. Desire of the flesh. And then just just do it for yourself. Just do it for yourself. Man, the deceitfulness of, of my pride, my stuff. Man, this is the way worldliness always creeps in. It's about, man, it, would, it looks good. I bet it would feel good. And it's, it's okay because it's mine. Man, worldliness is all about this idea that what I want is chief. What I want is primary. What I want is Okay. We're living in a culture now that says if it feels good, it's, it's, it's okay, it's good, it's all right. What feels good to you is good, what feels good to you is good, what feels good to me is good. And if it feels good, it's, it must be okay. Paul addressed this in, in several books of the Bible. Like, you know, there were people talking to him about sex, but they were using food to justify it. They were like, well, hey, food's meant for the body, and the body meant for food. But what they were really meaning to say is that uh, these physical pleasures, I just remember that we had kids in here, uh, these physical pleasures, you know, they feel good, so they must be okay. John here is saying, look, man, if, if you're more in love with the world, i.e., you're more in love with yourself than you are with God, then there's a good chance that God's love just not there in you. Man, that's a scary thought. Like, this passage is not meant to make us doubt where we are. It's, it's not, but if it is making you doubt, then, that, hey, that's a good question. But it's not here to make you doubt. Instead, it's here to affirm what we know. It's here to push us into a particular direction And then he gives us a little more clarification in verse 17. Uh, And he says, in this world, the things of it, they're passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So he gives us the commandment, do not love the things of the world. Gives us the conditional statement. If you love the world more than you love God, there's a good chance the love of God is not in you. Understand that these are the things from the world. The things from the world are the desires of the flesh, the desires of eyes, the pride in possessions or life. These aren't from God, but they're from the world. And understand that these things, man, they're just temporary. They're going to be gone. I think this last idea in this particular passage is John is saying, man, don't chase the things that are fleeting. Don't chase the things that are temporary. So what do we do with all of this? What, what do we make of it? I think the first thing is this. I think... Um, if we can read this and honestly say, hey, uh, I do. I love God more than the world, but I'll admit I struggle. That's okay. Man, I think that's a great starting place to say, look, I do. I want to love God more than I love the things of this world, but I admit, like, I struggle. I fight it. And I'll, I'll openly admit it. I fight it. it. It is a battle. If I said that it wasn't a battle, I'd be lying, and I'll talk to you about that in just a minute. But we need to start there. Yes, love God. I want to love him more, but, but I battle. I think the first thing that we need to set our minds on, we need to think, is uh, we need to start by seeking the eternal instead of the things that are fleeting. Seek the eternal instead of the things that are fleeting. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses many of these ideas. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25-33, through we're going to pop that up on the screen, I'm pretty sure. There we go. We're going to read this whole chunk, so just hang with me. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. I think for us the first step is to seek the eternal. Seek the eternal. The way this passage concludes after talking about all the things that we could worry about, all the things that could consume our thoughts, what we're wearing, what we will drive, all of those things, they consume us. They fight for our affections. They fight for our attentions. I know, like, if I'm going to buy something, I'm a research fanatic. Like the thing that Google has done that's probably the most detrimental to me is that I can find out anything about anything at any time, and so like Abby, no, it drives Abby crazy. Like say, for instance, I'm gonna buy a new a new reel for one of my fly rods. Like I'll research the hay out of that thing. I mean, I'll look at every review. I'll read every website. I'll do everything I can to find out, like, how much drag pressure is it going to apply at a fish that turns its head and runs upstream? What is it going to do? What sound does it make when the line strips off the reel? Because that's very important to me. I can't stand a really loud click when line is coming off a reel. And if you're winding in, it shouldn't make a sound. It should be silent. I need to know all of those things right now before I spend forty five ninety nine on Amazon. i got to know. And most fly reels cost way more than $45.99. And guess what? I'm gonna buy the one that costs the least but is the best. And research helps me do that. Google is is terrible for me. It's horrible. These things can consume us. They can, man, they can battle for every ounce of attention and affection that we have. Before long, we realize that we've been on a rabbit trail and we've watched 25 YouTube videos on an arrow made by some. This weird company out in Utah and that's all they make like this is the way it works maybe you don't do that and maybe, I mean hypothetically I'm, I may have done that but I mean it's just the way that it happens at the conclusion of all of this in which Jesus is telling his people do not worry do not be anxious do not let your heart be torn he says just seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will fall into place man for us We are prone to wander, we are prone to worry, we are prone to fret and go after so many things. And Jesus knew that. He knew it well and good. And he said, look, go after the eternal. Go after the eternal. In origins words, do you know what we would say? We would say, love God, love one another, love the city. Man, our relationship with God can never be stolen. It will never uh, expire. It will never go away. Invest in the thing that is eternal. Spend time getting to know the Father through Jesus, learning the ways of the Holy Spirit that is in us, spending time understanding His words, who He tells us to be. These will never die. These are investments that will compound over and over with interest, reap upon reap with rewards, like invest in the eternal. Our relationship with God will never go away if we want to sock money away sock time away man put these things away into something that matters man our relationship with God is primary and it is very eternal find ways to express and to devote ourselves to the love for God like figure that out if you're struggling with reading scripture if you're struggling with making time come and talk to us Like say look this is a battle for me I want to love the eternal but I just just don't know where to start ask a question I'll be honest, there is no no excuse that is good enough for me at this stage in my life. And if you want to make me the crotchety old pastor, come and tell me that you don't know how to do something and that you don't have time. And I will turn into the crotchety pastor right there. I'm 41 now. I have the right and the privilege and the opportunity. But I won't get mad. I'll say, look, let's figure this out. Go to Neil. Man, go to John after he comes back from having this baby and celebrating it. Go to your community group leader and say, look, I just, I just need to know where to start. Maybe a couple weeks ago, you started in Luke. I was getting texts from a guy that did, and he was telling me about each chapter that he read every single day. And he's like, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. I'm like, well, that's great. I'm glad you read it for the first time. It's good. Keep doing it. No excuse is good enough for me at this point. I'm sorry. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. I do love you. I know the battles. I fight them too. My calendar is full. My day is full. And I'm not saying that I'm better for you, but I fight to put that in there. And to make sure that it's there. If we're going to put things in a way into the things that are eternal, start with loving God. Figure that out. Be here, be there, wherever you're watching from, make the time, make it a priority. Invest in what's eternal. Second, love one another. We talked about it last week. By the way, I'm, I'm just I'm telling you what our mission statement is. Love God, love one another, love the city. You should have heard it enough by now. Um, and we're going to keep saying it. Love one another. Man, here's the other thing. We talked about this last week. It came up. Our most valuable commodity that we'll ever have, it's not time, it's not money, it's not stuff. It's people. It's our relationships. Most valuable commodity we have. And guess what? If the one another's, they're also devoted to God through Jesus indwelled by the very Holy Spirit, your relationship with them, it is just as eternal as your one is with your Father. May we know them differently in eternity, in new heaven, new earth? Yes, but it's still going to be there. They're going to be there too. Put time into what's eternal to one another figure out what it looks like to love each other well go back and listen to last week love each other well spend time loving each other well spend money loving each other well spend effort loving each other well hurt your back loving each other well do whatever we got to do love each other well love each other better than we love anybody else in this world and you say well that's selfish no 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 it's biblical to be honest We have to love one another because there's reasons attached to it like we talked about last week. Number one, we need to. Number two, we're commanded to. But number three, the world sees it. They see Jesus. It's our best apologetic that we'll ever have the way that we love one another. And then third, man, the other place that we put into the eternal is, man, we love the city. And I love the city. That's metaphorical. Yes, we love this city, but you love your neighbors as yourself. You love those that are around you those that have been put in your relational sphere, those that have been put in your geographic sphere. We love them well. Why? Because we want them to love God and love one another. And the only way they can do that is through Jesus. And that means that we love them how they are, where they are, as often as we can. In the name of Jesus, with the words of Jesus, with the gospel of Jesus, and praying for it as we go into it. Love God, love one another, love the city. And by all that, we'll go back to the beginning of who we are. We'll make disciples in that. That's the goal. And you say, it's intensely relational. Yep, it's intensely relational. It's costly, it's painful. It takes all those things. Yep, everyone. all necessary, all commanded, all biblical. We can't wiggle around those. And so we're not. So after we seek the eternal, Matthew 6:24 uh, let's throw that up there for me still Sermon on the Mount, just slightly previous. It says, "No one can serve two masters." For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or mammon would be the Greek word meaning stuff. And here's the thing about love that we need to understand. It cannot be divided well. It just can't. It it just, Man, it just can't. Jesus is even telling people, you you can't love God in this world at the same time. You can't love God and the products of this world at the same time. You're going to love one, hate the other, but you can't love them both. You may say that you can, but at some point you're going to have to choose. And man, if we've learned anything from Jesus, we've learned that the deceitfulness of riches is real. It's real. Does that mean that you can't have money? Nope, not saying that. Does that mean that you can't have nice things? No, not saying that. Does that mean that you can't have an extra bedroom or an extra bathroom? Nope, not saying that either. But what it is saying is that we need to look at our heart, figure out what we ultimately love. Again, like the whole crux of this passage that we're looking at is, man, we have to love God and not the world, period. Love God, not the world. And we just have to ask the question daily, what do I love more? Most of the time, I think the easy way to do that, and this would be the most painful thing, if we tallied every minute of the day where my thoughts go and where my energies go, and we put them into two columns, the world or God, man, I think it would be shocking. I don't want to do that. Maybe we need to. The second thing that we need to figure out is uh, we need to allow God to define need. In light of this, that we can't serve God in money, that we can't love God and the things of this world at the same time, we need to allow God to define need. I think this is super evident in man and kids. Like, we all know that kids are born sinners. Like, we just, we just know. If you watch them for a little while, I love my children, but I watched them early, I could tell. Like, they, they were born with that bent, okay? It was just the way that it was. And early on, if you watch kids, especially this time of year, you'll hear statements like this. Hey, Dad, I need um, that new Lego set. Or I need that, that new video game. Now, in our house, they're not new because we're still playing a Wii U. So I need that new old video game. Or maybe I need, uh, I need that box of crayons. And so when we look at kids, it's easy to look at them and say, well, buddy, darling, you're confusing need with want. Like we look at kids, and that's easy to diagnose. And what we assume is that we'll grow out of that, right? We're going to grow out of that because we're going to mature. We're going to easily be able to see the delineation between need and want as adults. But the problem is we, we don't. The problem is we just, we just don't. The only thing that changes is our needs, Caleb, I'm using air quotes, our needs they just cost a lot more. We need to allow God to define, is it define for us what we need, not what we want. Now, I'm not saying that wants are bad. I'm not saying that wants are bad. And the way this is playing out for the Elrods right now is, like, honestly, um, we are about to put our house on the market, and we want to buy another house, and we want to be closer to downtown, and we feel like we need a little more space. Okay? Here, here's, the, here's the problem with that. If we were allowing want to inform our need, this is what we would go after. A farm-style house with a wraparound porch, two to three acres in downtown. Okay? All right? Yeah, you can see several issues with that right now, okay? If we were going after wants, and, uh, and and maybe even like some kind of provision that I could shoot squirrels in my backyard in downtown Greenville. So you can see that there are some problems here if we're allowing want to become confused with need, because number one, that doesn't exist. Number two, we don't have that much money, and number three, it doesn't exist, and so what we're trying to do in this is, is, man, we're trying to ask ourselves, okay, what do we really think we need? And then, more importantly, we're going to God and saying, God, you, you just direct us to the house that you want us to have. Let the buyer buy our house, pay what they will, and God, you direct us to the house that you want us to have. It worked six years ago almost to the day, to be honest. Like, we walked into a house, the realtor tried to talk us out of it. She didn't want it, but we, we were like, nope, I think this is the house. And we just knew and so we're praying for that again. We're like, God, just direct us to the house that you want us to have. Not necessarily the house that we want. Not, not necessarily the wraparound porch with two swings, three acres in downtown. You know, the provision so that I can shoot squirrels in, in the backyard because that would get me arrested in other circumstances. But, God, just, just direct us to what you want us to have. Direct us to your desire instead of to ours. Because if we're going to trust a want, we can trust God's wants because his are divine. His are inspired. His are working together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can trust those wants. But my wants, oh, they're flawed. They're jacked up. (laughs) I mean, they are. I want a workshop ready-made too, but that's probably not going to happen either. One that never has dust in it. That'd be great. For us, I think, not just for us, but for us, man, just begin to ask God, God, what do you want for me? What do you want for us? What do you desire for us? And then let us come alongside your wants and let us agree with you. Begin to pray for that diligently, seek that diligently, and agree with you on all fronts. Man, that's hard. Because again, remember the way that we're born is we're born looking inward. We're born thinking about me, the things that my eyes want, the things that my flesh wants, the things that I'm prideful about. And God says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Remember when the lawyers were questioning Jesus? I mean, the lawyers did it. uh, We can see it in Matthew chapter 22, Mark 12, and Luke, uh, I've got it written, Luke Luke 10. You know, they said, hey, what's the the greatest commandment? They were hoping to catch him. And he just quoted the Shema, the Shema Yisrael, the hero Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your soul, all your might, or all your mind, depending on the, the Hebrew translation. He just said, look here's the first thing, just love me with everything that you've got. He didn't say love me with everything you got and then save a little bit for the world. He said, no, 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 just, just love me with everything you have. And then love your neighbor as yourself and all the rest of the, the commandments. They hinge on these two. Man, love can't be divided. It's never a clean cut. Something's going to have to give at some point. But just like the passage that we read before this, if we just, man, we start seeking the kingdom of God, we start loving him and just love him seeking the eternal. Man, those other things that we need, according to his want, they're going to fall into place. They're going to be there. That's a big trust right there. Because I want to make things happen. Like for me, like if a wall needs to be torn down, I want to tear it down. Because that's the way that I trust it. But God says, no, 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 you got to trust in my ways, and they work a little bit differently got to trust in my process, and it it may take a little more time, or it may happen way more fast, way quicker than you're wanting. It's kind of like the people that say, well, we'll have a baby when we're ready, and all of a sudden they find out they're pregnant. It's pretty funny. Uh, It happens. Every week in Origins, it happens. Um, And I think here's the last thing. After seeking the eternal, after allowing God to define what we actually need by his wants, um, I think the third, and this is the reason we're at this passage this week instead of next, man, we just need to be thankful. I mean, seriously. Like, I I know almost all of you. None of you are dirt broken poor. You may may have $5 left in your account after paying your bills this month, but guess what? You paid your bills and you all ate. And guess what? If you struggled to eat this week, I know several people that would be willing to buy you a meal today. And man, this grace deal... it's not cheap. And we've all been afforded it. So at some point, we just need to stop and say, you know what, God? You've already given me a lot. You've given me so much. Thank you, God. Relationships, we've got plenty of them. Our most valuable commodity. Second to that, we have a ton of time, most likely. And then we do. We have this stuff that we've worked for, that we've put in time for. We've got it. Maybe we just need to stop and say, God, thank you. And realize... And this isn't a fatalistic view, but in realize that we don't deserve any of it. To be honest. I mean, like we don't. Like if we think we deserve Jesus, we need to go back to square one and start over. We don't. If we think we deserve grace, we need to go back to before square one, start over. If we think we deserve the riches that we've been afforded here now in this place, we don't. We need to go back and start over. And God's granted us so much already. Sometimes it feels selfish to ask for more. But he tells us it's okay. Make, my, make our request known. Let him know what he desires so that we can come along his desires for us and so they can be unified. It's okay. But I think it starts with just gratitude for what we already have. We just need to stop and say thank you. Like I said, in a biblical holiday this week, like it's not one that was based in, in some type of uh, Jewish tradition, Thanksgiving, but it is a very American holiday, and traditionally it starts with us sitting around the table telling each other what we're thankful for. It probably never happened in my house, maybe a couple times growing up, because, you know, somebody would have been like, man, this is dumb. But, hey, I think it's probably a pretty good idea. But maybe for us, instead of on Thursday, maybe it should start like today, and we should do it again tomorrow, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday, and on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, hit repeat. Maybe each day could just kind of start with, hey, God, thank you for what you've already given me. If you happen to give me any more, thank you for that too. But today, thank you. Look at your eternity, be grateful for it. Look at your relationships, be grateful for it. Look at your possessions, be grateful for them. We have more than we deserve. And man, that's just greater demonstration of the grace of God right now, right here, today. So I think it starts with us admitting that Man, love of the world is easy, but doing our best to set our mind on, like, the eternal stuff. God, what is it that's going to matter for all time, not just in this time? Um, And then saying, God, direct me to what I need, and then God, just thank you for what I have. I hope you guys have a wonderful week of Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoy time with your family. I know a lot of families are just trying to figure that out, what that's going to look like this week, but I hope it's good for you guys, and I, I look forward to seeing you guys in two weeks on a Sunday. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship some more. God, we love you. Thank you for time. Thank you, uh, God, for so much that you've already given us that we, we don't deserve, to be honest, but through Jesus and through grace you've granted it to us. God, I pray that we leverage every single bit of it for the glory of the kingdom. I pray we leverage our homes. I pray we leverage our bank accounts. I pray we leverage our relationships, our time so that we can love you, love one another, and love this city and your kingdom can grow as a result not because we've done anything great, but just because we've been obedient. God, I pray you would move in this family, continue to do so, affirm who we are. Let us read these if-then statements and say, yeah, I'm good with that. And then God, direct us towards mission. Direct us towards the fact that there are so many people that do not have the assurances that we have, but God, they do have hope that rests in your gospel. And God, they need to hear it. I pray, Father, for those that, uh, whose families this week do not know you, that, God, just, just even at Thanksgiving, we would have the opportunity to share more than platitudes. We'd have the opportunity to, to share more than a football game and a turkey leg. We could, God, we could love them well enough to share truth with them and that you would work in the midst of that. God, thank you for loving us well. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for loving us with Jesus as the perfect demonstration. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for you. God continue to grow that thankfulness this week. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.